Grace, mercy, and love be unto you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every once in a while, I need to stop and think about that. I've said it so frequently that I just, it's automatic pilot. But think about it. In terms of the song we just sang, God's love coming to us. Coming to us on a little baby. Look at that. Eight days old. And already hauled into church. Well, that's the way it was supposed to be. God had set that up. And his son needs to obey the law. Not because he has to. Well, he does. But he's perfect. He's not going to have any trouble obeying the law. But he needs to obey it perfectly to be the accepted sacrifice, that unblemished lamb sacrificed on the cross. So here he is. And Mary and Joseph doing what they're supposed to do, doing what God had told the Hebrews to do 1,500 years earlier. This is what you need to do. And so his son fall and his parents follow the rules so that when Jesus is sacrificed, it's not for because he disobeyed the law, but because he obeyed it perfectly for us. And he in turn is made to be sin for us. Maybe we think about that in Lent. But that God puts our sin, our guilt, our shame on his son as he goes to the cross. But that's 33 years later. Now we're talking about this eight-day-old baby and coming into the temple courtyards where the sacrifices are made. And Mary and Joseph don't have much money, so they bring the poor people's sacrifice of a couple of pigeons or doves, turtle doves. If they had more money, they would have brought a lamb or perhaps even a calf. But they don't have the money to do that. So a couple of birds are offered in Jesus' place. Hmm. But there they are met by Simeon. How old was he? We all think he was old. Lord, now let us now thy servant depart in peace. Well, he's going to walk out of that temple courtyard and drop down dead, right? Because he's old and ancient. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It just says he has seen God's promise come true. A savior. Not necessarily God, but God's special one sent to accomplish the salvation of Israel and to bring the good news of God's love to the Gentiles, us, the whole world. 
This little baby is not only going to provide salvation to the Jews, but to all of God's created people. Okay. And Simeon has been told by the Holy Spirit. I don't know how the Holy Spirit did that before the internet was invented. But anyway, he told Simeon, you're not going to die until you see God's Savior. Isn't that amazing? And now he sees it. And he starts looking at the details and he realizes the Holy Spirit's working this whole thing. Because Simeon, this guy who is there, he seems like a nice guy from what we little we know about him. He comes up to Mary and Joseph and it's their firstborn and the baby's eight days old. And if you ever had a baby, you're really protective. You just don't hand off that baby to some old, not some old guy, but to some guy. And yet it says Simeon comes up and he's taking the baby. And it sounds like Mary just said, okay, here's my baby. I think the Holy Spirit was in there. And then Anna comes up. Now she's old. I mean, it doesn't matter that she had outlived all of her contemporaries probably because 84 is really old in those days. It really is. Well, the lifespan for a man was like 50 or 55. So some of us here would be really, really old compared with them. And she comes up, and she too acknowledges what's going on. This is God's special person. And she and probably Simeon proceed to tell others, this is what's happened. God's kept his promise. That promise made back to how far? Adam and Eve of a Savior, because we sure need one. So you got all that. And looking at the Bible passage, I'm going, okay, that's fine. You know, that, that's good. We need, to, we need to be reminded that we are to be faithful people of God, trusting God to keep his promises day after day. But then there's a little phrase in there in what Simeon's has to say. This little baby's going to grow up, and he is going to force people to come to grips with the reality of God's Savior being right in front of them. The thoughts of hearts are going to be revealed. Okay, let's think about that. Not this heart beating here, but in terms of that which is most important to us. We're going to ask you and me to open up your heart 
and see what's inside. Priorities and values and loyalties and that which you trust, that which you see as most important in your life. A few years ago, my wife and I were living in San Diego County and we went through two wildfires. In 2003, the wildfire went around that end of town. In 2007, it went around that end of town. And, of course, we're in the middle. Now, we, we felt the sparks. We saw the flames. We decided what to load up in our cars in order to run for safety. The second time around, we loaded up things that were a little different than what we did the first time around. Because that gets you thinking, what's really important? I've got this much space in the car. What can I fit into it? What do you take? The second time especially, the second fire, five families in the congregation got burned out. It's, it's a horrible thing. Having, having been in those houses when they were all nice and coming back when the fire has come through and there is basically nothing there except gray ashes. All the furniture, all the memorabilia, all the family heirlooms, books, clothes, everything gone. And the comment that's made, you've heard it on the news, we are safe. Our whole family is safe. And that's the most important thing. It's interesting, isn't it? How sometimes circumstances force us to focus on that which is most important. Our family's safe. Nobody's been injured. Nobody's been killed in our family. All the other stuff can be replaced or remembered and just, then just, it's not here anymore. So we just move on. But all the things that were so important that we would have spent years on cars or coin collections or, you know, a hundred pair of shoes or whatever it might be, they become secondary. So what's really important in your life? Now, we're good at deceiving ourselves or fooling ourselves, saying, well, yeah, that's important. It's really important, okay? But if, you were, if your heart was opened up, what would it reveal? What's really, really important to you? Family? Sure. Money? Security? Things? Success? They're all important. Are they most important? Jesus comes up to his disciples, and you know, they're obviously a few years later, and he says, who do you say that I am? You're a prophet, you're Elijah, you're whatever, okay. Who do, you, who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter's the first one who speaks up and says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're, some, you're the special one sent by God. Now, Peter promptly forgets that, as do his fellow disciples when they're faced with violence and danger. They're in the Garden of Gethsemane. They all run away. 
So Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? Am I the most important one in your life? Are you willing to die for me? And don't think that's so, so strange. It's happening around our world right now where Christians are being challenged, threatened. Are you going to stay faithful to the Lord or be killed? What's most valuable? What's most important to you? I don't know. You know we, we're usually not faced with fires and firing squads and all that. Okay, you know, just... But we're here in church. Obviously, Jesus must be important to us because we're in church here. Well, okay. But are we in church often, regularly? Or are there other things that are as important in our lives as God is? God says being together with his people in his house, worshiping him, is important to him and to us. So if we're not here, if, we're, if we choose to do something else on a regular basis, I'm not talking jobs, I'm talking hobbies and sports, if we choose to do something else on a regular basis, are we saying that something else is as important as God? Hmm. Maybe put it this way. If I don't go to church in a given week, and there have been a few handful of Sundays where I haven't gone to church. See, I'm different because I'm paid to go to church. But okay. But if I don't go to, even when, I'm, even when I'm out of work, if I don't go to church on a Sunday, something's missing. Something is out of sorts in my life. I haven't been fed. I haven't had that special contact with God. But I could see myself getting to the point where if I kept missing time after time, I might say to myself, it's no big deal. And at that point, I'd have to admit that something else has taken over my heart. Something else has become at least as important as God, and I'm in trouble with God, and I'm out of sorts with my life. What's in your heart? What's at the center of your life? We have jobs to do things we need to do with our time and energy, things that absorb our focus to which we've committed our lives. More important than God? 
Really? The one who died for us? The one who keeps us going, heals us, provides for us, forgives us, takes us to heaven? What could possibly be more important than God when we see it that way? And it happens very gradually. We lose contact with God. We just stop paying attention to Him and we just sort of slide away. Mark Twain was not a Christian, married a woman who was. But he kept making comments about religion and how foolish it was to believe that kind of stuff. And she just gradually stopped praying and stopped paying attention to God. Until she was going through a crisis and her husband Mark Twain said, well, pray to your God. And she says, I can't. I've moved too far away from him. Not really. God's still there. But she felt that she did not deserve to come back to God because she had walked so far away from him. It happens very gradually if we let it. If we were to open up our hearts, what would be our first priority, the most valuable thing there in our heart? Would it be Jesus? This little baby who grows up to be the Lamb of God on the cross, our resurrected Lord and Savior, I told you months ago that I wanted you to read the book of Revelation. And of course you've all done it. So when I tell you that in the book of Revelation there is fantastic encouragement for us. If you don't believe me, read it again. You've got this Lamb of God who's died on the cross, who stands there saying, yes, I lived, I died, I rose again. Here I am with all the power of the universe. Here I am controlling everything, in charge of everything. And I'm the one who can give you life or give you death for eternity. I died for you so that you can live forever with me. But be careful. Read the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, especially the seven letters to the seven churches. And Jesus has all these kinds of warnings and disappointments and criticisms and encouragement. He who remains faithful will receive the crown of life, but be careful. The one I like especially is the church of Laodicea. Because in the King James Version, he says, you are lukewarm, you're neither hot nor cold, so I spew you out of my mouth. I love that spew. Be careful. He could say that to us too. 
But that Lamb of God, that victorious Lamb of God resurrected, says, I'm waiting for you to gather you to myself, and I will enable you to overcome and remain faithful to me. And that's the good news. And now we're back to Simeon and Anna who say, we trust God. We are determined to be faithful to him. We are convinced, we confess, and we witness to our world that Jesus is the Savior. And that's the good news. We pray that God will keep us faithful as we determine that he will be always the most valuable person in our life. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. Please stand as we confess together our faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. And we say together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, the life everlasting. Amen.